Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Now, today we're joined by Marta Kotvis, who is currently running sales operations at Evira Insights, has been there for three years. I'm going to dig into Marta's journey through sales ops at this business. So Marta, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Happy to be here. Amazing. So let's kick off by understanding your your route into sales ops. I, I understand you joined uh, the business in sales ops, but previously you're doing something different. Um, yes and no, because um, before joining Avira, I co-owned and co-managed a tech um, startup, a tech company for ten years. And as in startup, you do pretty much of everything, a little bit of everything. So I started in sales basically at at the end of it at the end of my my journey there I I started also doing sales ops what we now call sales ops right at that time uh, I didn't know it was called like that so a bit of forecasting a bit of KPIs and stuff like that and I thought it was pretty amazing and I really enjoyed that so when I moved into uh, into Avira that was the direction I was um, I was trying to achieve, and in the end, as as you can see, I'm now leading the uh, head of sales operation for the global um, OEM team in Iravira. Got it. So, it, in your own business, you were drawn to the sales side, and then you were also drawn to the ops side, and that's when you got the experience. And then from there, when you were thinking about other things you could do, you were like, okay, I should, I would love to do more of this operation stuff. Exactly, exactly. When I joined Avira, I wanted to stay in sales, but I didn't want to go into the field, but I preferred mm. to do the ops. And yeah, and this was this was my Got dream it. job. <laughs> <laughs> and so roughly now, how many reps and how many people in the ops team? Mm-hmm. Um, we have about um, 20 salespeople around the world in three regional teams. And uh, for now, I'm the only person running sales up. I also work with, uh, obviously, marketing and other departments, but dedicated to sales ops, I'm the only one. Got it. Makes sense. And so do you have a one-on-one relationship with every rep? Yes, definitely one-on-one relationship. 
more obviously with the team in EMEA as they are close to me um, and uh, not so with uh, APAC or US team, but yeah, we definitely have a one-on-one relationship. I know each of them. Sure. Um, And then the the, the tech stack that you guys are currently running, I I understand you're using Salesforce, but it'd be good to know what, what else we have. Exactly. Yes, we are in Salesforce and I'm also the Salesforce admin from the very beginning. And for data visualization, we use Tableau, uh, which is probably not of a surprise. Um, And for um, marketing automation and enablement, we use uh, HubSpot, also Sales Navigator, and also a couple of others. Got it. Makes sense. And so in the last few months, how, how have you and the team adapted to the remote operation and what have been the biggest challenges? Um, yeah, that, that was pretty rough as um, all the all our BDMs need to stay uh, remotely and they are obviously used to uh, working in the field. So I think that the biggest challenge for us is now to, let's say, uh, get close to the type of relationships we had while being able to meet people face to face, now doing it remotely. So building the same level of trust or almost the same level of trust i think this is the the biggest challenge our yeah. our sales process is um actually uh not uh not repetitive because we do technology integration so every project is really different and the sales cycles are pretty long and because these projects are complex from the perspective of technology and uh, all others also um, legal perspective and commercials, it's not straightforward, then the, the trust is really essential here, the, the partnership that, that we are building. Makes total sense. And I guess the million dollar question is, what have you guys been doing to, to build that trust and have anything come close to what you would get in real life? Yeah, well, I think that each of our BDMs has their own uh, let's say magic trick, but I guess that there is no uh, no rocket science about that. That we needed to switch to video conferencing, and instead of doing one on or face to face meeting and the calls, you have to combine it and do the video conferencing. So you can see the people, you can uh, see their body language, and they can also see you. Um, that was, I think, the the biggest change. For sure. And was there any, anything else that the team was doing differently, whether operationally or culturally, uh, that has had an impact on how productive they, the reps are? Um, I, guess, I guess yes, but each team probably would need to speak for themselves because I guess that each culture is different. The, the, doing the business in China is totally different than in EMEA or in the US. So I think that everybody has their own tricks. For sure. And so you didn't internally say that going forward every sales meeting has to be in video you kind of let the reps do do Uh do do their thing yes exactly because uh, also because um because of the specific of the job so the technology integration bit which is yeah as i as i mentioned uh each time is different we don't uh we don't have that granular let's say processes or scripting so we let bdms decide what work best for them and their partners and they they have their own ways. Got it. Do you think when things go back to more normal, do you think that more of the sales process will be remote? 
Um, I guess, again, it depends both on the BDM and on their partners. Um, because obviously now, um, let's say 80% of, of, um, of business partners uh, need to do it like this, and they may get used to it. But I guess that there will be still a portion of those who prefer face-to-face -face contact. And uh, there are also BDMs who prefer face-to-face -face contact, so they might as well switch back to, to normal, let's say. Makes sense. How have the the targets or objectives of, of the reps or the business as a whole been impacted? Um, well, because again, because our sales cycles is pretty long, it can actually last from anything between 250 up to even 500 days. We didn't adjust the targets or objectives specifically because, um, uh, but we are looking at it, right? How we are, how we are getting our, our quotas. So, yeah, for now, we haven't changed that. Yeah, it's almost like you guys are maybe more insulated from any disruption. If it is such a big thing these companies are embarking upon and they have to think about it for so long, it's, it's not like they, they were going to buy in the next three months. They're like, no, we can't buy because they know mm -hmm. they may be buying in like 12 months and therefore they'll just see how things go and maybe still be able to do it. Would you agree with that or do you think there will be some disruption? Um, yeah, I guess for uh, from the perspective of new business, I think it might be more challenging because everybody now is thinking, shall I do this investment next year or not? So, um, so I guess in this respect, it might have an impact. But as you mentioned, if they do have that money, have the budget and the investment in technology is always something um, of, of a high priority, they'll definitely do it because our technology is integrated into our partners' products and services. So only when they develop uh, their products and services, they can also make sales. So this is, um, this is the chain reaction here. That makes sense. How are you, are you able to see, like, we have these 20 reps all, all around the world. How are you as a sales ops leader able to easily see the, the, the pipeline of deals is you have some dashboard etc that like very accurately yes. okay cool could, could you share like more about what, the data that you put into that and, ha and how it's valuable um as far as pipeline we definitely yeah. looking at what it's new coming in um and the challenge is now to get to the you know what is the ratio of how much pipeline we need to have in order for that to convert into into a forecast um so yeah, this has these are the the things that we are looking at. Got it. So you're trying to understand exactly how how much pipeline a rep has, and then from that from that data, you're able to define the forecast. Yes, exactly. But again, three different regions might have three different states. Uh, I mean, um, the the pipeline structure might be different. So it's not that we have a, an equal metric for 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 each region or for each rep. Because it depends on the territory, on the yeah, on the account. Got it. Yeah, I, I, I'm starting to understand the the challenge, the not the challenge, but the the landscape of your role when you have these vastly different cultural uh, places around the world, and you're trying to manage different like, the pipelines and the reps in the in those different areas, and it's actually just completely different from having like 20 people in, in an office in, in Germany. Exactly. And on top of it, it's not that each market we started at the, uh, at the same point of time. 
uh, obviously we started in EMEA, so our so we have more partners here, and uh, the the relations are different. And uh, let's say for the APEC team, we only started like three or four years ago, so it's totally new market for us. But we think there is also more potential because uh, we are starting, let's say, from from scratch, right? Right? Not not as an EMEA. Got it. Um, going back to that that forecasting point, have you how? Well, what are you doing now to try and make that forecast more accurate, especially in these times? Is there any strategy for measurement that you're using to try and make that reliable? Um, it's hard for me to say because, on one hand, uh, there are a lot of things that uh, that play a role here. On one hand, um, it is um, we've um, changed. Um, the company went through a reorganization, so we have a different owners now. So they probably will require some different kind of information that we get. Basically, we are running our forecast, um, let's say, the same for the last maybe two, two, two years, that we have a forecast based on um, our forecast in Salesforce, but then we have a worst case and best case, let's say, scenario, right? And we are now, um, uh, we are also seeing it in Tableau now. Um, yeah, this is how we do it. But there is, yeah, it's hard to say that we if, if anything changed uh, because of the situation now. Yeah, I got it because it's a really long sales cycle. Um, yeah. Cool. So, and then now on the KPIs, for, for actually, if we if we go back to your work in the previous business, what do you think? Well, and this business as well. Over the two, what do you think has been the most insightful metric that you have measured? Um, well, we try to focus on activity. Uh, however, in my previous business, uh, let's say the sales cycles weren't too long, and the, the face to, in the face-to-face -face meeting or one or two, we could actually get a pretty good indication of if the project is going to happen or not. Whereas here, it doesn't have to be like that because there are many other factors that influence the, the progress on the project. So activity is essential, but there are also yeah other other things. Got it. And so, what what do you mean by activity? Do you mean like uh, emails sent between reps and prospects? Well, looking at activities, meaning um, yeah, in the sales process, we have obviously like qualification. Then we have a technical evaluation process. That we that we have commercial negotiations. So. As long as the um, uh, the process is, let's say, moved forward, right? We will see if it makes sense, and then we will cl we will be closer to, let's say, uh, to knowing the when its project is going to live, how how big will be the the opportunity here. Got it. So the, you, you're basically saying that the most the, the most important thing to measure for you as a sales ops leader is how how fast the deal is progressing and how much activity the rep is yes. taking on for that account. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Makes sense. Awesome. So, and then onto the, the final question, which is about who in your career related to sales ops has been the most or have taught you the most? Mm-hmm. Um, a pretty hard one because I didn't have, you know, a, a sales ops manager or or, or a VP who I could who I could uh, look upon to. However, uh, my managers that I work with, my sales VPs, um, the current and previous ones, and also our marketing VP, 
and obviously uh, salespeople are of a big influence. They inspire me by asking questions, by giving me challenges, uh, what can be done, if it can be done um, to, to improve in that role. Got it. And then is there somebody else in the sales ops world that, that maybe you don't know that you would like to take for lunch? Um, yeah, there is a guy, I'm not sure, he's running his own company, so it is rather of an entrepreneur, but what I, uh, what I look at, uh, when I look in uh, his videos and his podcast, he's talking a lot about the sales process and what he's doing is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, his name is uh, Philip Strawman from the company called uh, Comex. We also cooperate with them, with them on the marketing um, automation email marketing automation got it we really will. are driven and he is trying on or he's almost uh, aiming to automate pretty much everything by based on you know flows and um yeah it's pretty amazing what he's doing got it we'll have to hunt him down and see if he's suitable for the, for the show um, yeah, yeah. amazing so marta thank you so much for coming on what i really liked it was Really, I don't think we've had someone come on, at least I don't think so, with a sales cycle as long as yours, which is like between can be up to a year and a half. Um, and so it's fascinating to understand both that dynamic with the way that you have these very disparate reps in different geographies with different cultures. So that, that was a super interesting amazing? viewpoint. So, Marta, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.